If you're a technology CEO, you've probably heard of product-led growth, but what about a product-led company? In this episode of Powered by Battery, we speak with Todd Olson, the CEO of software company Pendo, who's written a book about how to build what he calls a product-led organization, one intensely focused on creating products that delight customers and easily anticipate their needs. Olson also chats with us about steering Pendo through the COVID-19 pandemic and what it's like to build a unicorn tech startup in Raleigh, North Carolina. Have a listen. Well, Todd Olson from Pendo, uh, welcome to Powered by Battery. Thanks, Becky. It's great to be here. All right. Awesome. Uh, Well, listen, we're chatting today mainly because you've published a book called The Product-Led Organization, which uh, lays out your vision for you know, building software products that essentially sell themselves without lots of sales and marketing. Um, separately, I do have some questions for you about Pendo and how you guys are faring through the pandemic, but I wanted to start with the book, if that's okay. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. All right. Well, so first off, why did you decide to write a book? You are the CEO of a unicorn software company, so obviously a pretty busy guy. It may sound weird, but I've, I've always definitely had the, the the you know idea or inspiration to write a book, or thought that maybe I'd, I'd like to at one point, but just didn't really have anything um, I was passionate enough to write about. And uh, this topic is one that um, I don't know; it just kind of grabbed me. I'll be honest. So you know, I, I spent a lot of my time talking with customers, you know, hearing some of their stories about how they've use their product to transform their businesses. And those stories um, inspired me to, to try to capture some of the learnings I've had and uh, you know put it down on paper so that we can continue sharing and building thought leadership around these ideas. Okay. Okay. Well, um, we can dive into some details in a second, but what's what are the main like one or two messages or takeaways that people should take from this book? And I'm assuming the target audience is is it product managers? Is it the people who, you know, you're really focused on talking to them, I think, in the book? It's product managers. It's executives. Um, it could be CIO at a company that's going digital. Um, and I, I think we, we tried to bring in a diverse set of examples to, to make it, um, you know, you know, applicable to companies even beyond SaaS. But I think, look, I think the main message or takeaway is pretty simple. It's, it's you know, how can we leverage our product to help deliver better experiences for our customers. The book tries to talk about is how you have to look more holistically at your entire business and kind of understand areas where the product um, can help offload work from humans to deliver better experience. What, what are some examples of that? How does a product offload work from humans in a company? Growth is often talked about, but um, you know, I think you know, areas like self-service are, are super, super interesting. Um, you know, um, often you get into a software product and um, maybe you're trying to accomplish some task and you just can't figure it out. So, um, so what do you do? You know, um, now in some instances, you know, I'll, I'll never forget it. One of my most frustrating stories is I was trying to add um, a, a new addition to my family to my insurance. And the app at that time, literally, I just couldn't figure it out. And, and, you know, I do build software for a living. So like when that, that happens, it's always a little frustrating. And I had to actually make a phone call. And, you know, that's a good, great area where, wow, what a missed opportunity. If the product itself had like a little question mark, a little area, or like, what are you trying to accomplish? Or heck, even chat, you know, it, that would have been a more product led way to service me in that instance. So that, that's, that's a right. classic example. I think the other one is onboarding. So, so many 
enterprise software solutions get a bad rap for how hard they are to set up. Like, whoa, the implementation of this thing is one month, two months, three months. And look, it, we, we as an industry have made significant progress uh, you know, from, from where we were a few years ago when it used to take like years to implement things. But, but even some SaaS software, like it, implementation's a, a heavy, um, heavy issue. And, and um, the reality is product can automate a lot of it if, um, if you, you know, evaluate it and try to, try to be creative. So that's a, onboarding, I think it's other, one of the areas where I talk a lot about in the book. I have a pretty large chapter on it because I think it's, it's one of the most critical areas where you can apply product-led techniques. Right, right. I mean, thinking of the days when you, it would take you like two years to implement SAP or Oracle, right? SaaS is supposed to make that a thing of the past, right? It is. But, you know, as we add more and more features to SaaS to displace those enterprise solutions, and it does create complexity. Um, so it is a, a challenging issue. And then the big thing that we, you know, um, yeah, I was talking about with, with, with Neeraj recently, because something he sees across um, lots of companies is we have this issue of it's one thing to sign a new customer and then onboard them. Uh, and you mean you may need a blend of humans as well as the product helping out. But what happens if someone gets hired nine months later? What's their experience like? You know, they often get provisioned to log in by someone in IT and they just oh here, welcome. <laughs> they get thrown in, right? Like there's no humans then, uh, you know, um, reaching out typically, right? You know, I, I guess you can look on LinkedIn and see who's joined this company, but you don't know if they have um, or a brand new user, and often you're not you're not tracking that. And that experience is a one that absolutely should be automated, and absolutely is a great opportunity for uh, for a product just introducing this new user to some subscription, saying, "Hey, let me show you around. Here's you know main tasks. This is where this goes." You're just kind of giving someone like a, a really comfortable introduction. Is it's a, just a great experience. Right, right. Something you mentioned earlier was, you know, all the features that can be in today's uh, SaaS products, because, you know, obviously, we've got talented engineers building super robust products for all sorts of, you know, functions and industries. But I've heard you talk a lot before about how a lot of those features aren't used. And so I'm assuming that's one key aspect of, you know, I guess we're talking more about product led growth here, but making sure at the outset, you're building a product where most of the features, I guess. I don't know if there's a figure will will be used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all too common of a, of a problem where people are building things that just simply aren't aren't being used. And um, and honestly, though, not all features are equal. So mm -hmm. you know, if you're starting with a new software application or new new solution, and um, we're just trying to get you hooked and get you in, you know, I think you know a lot of folks have dubbed this notion of an aha moment. You know, what does it take to get Becky like totally hooked in the software product? And okay, well, we know if she does this, 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 and this, that she's statistically more likely to stay in the product. And that's a classic type of analytic that we can say, okay, across all these features, these are the six, seven, maybe 10, um, you know, core areas of our product that we want to introduce this user to so that they are more likely to retain. So you can kind of look at retention and look at usage of these things. And that, that's a great way to, to think about your, your onboarding experience. Because if you can identify those you know, aha moments and get users um, 
into them fast and you're much more likely to, to um, capture a user for life. That's of course what all, we all want, right? Well, talk to me a little bit about the, the link between, you know, product led growth, I think was the industry trend that people started to talk about. Um, I don't know, you tell me a few years ago, but then how does that lead into and how is that different, I guess, than a product led organization? Yeah, look, I think product-led growth is the start of a product-led organization. And, you know, product-led growth is hot. You know, it, it typically involves some sort of um, virality. And, of course, we have lots of great examples in the industry. It's, you know, uh, Slack and Zoom most notably. I mean, Zoom's growth uh, in part was driven from the fact that you get introduced to a Zoom call because you get, in, you know, you get brought on to some distributed meeting. Um, and that itself um, is almost like a reference, you know, it's like, you know, cause you, you use it and you're like, well, wow, it's pretty pleasant. I, I, I could potentially use this for self. Let me, let me look into it. That's a great example of how, um, you know, collaboration software in general is a natural, um, candidate for product, product led growth. And of course, you know, I think, I think there's plenty of other examples. I mean, I think some of the more classic examples, you know, um, Companies like MailChimp, where you get a mail from MailChimp, and at the very bottom of the email, it says "sent by MailChimp" with a link. <laughs> so you click on it, and it's like, wow, you know, like that's that's virality. That's a lead. That that's getting you into a funnel, right? That's that's some aspect of it. But then, sophisticated companies don't stop there. Now, once they get you as that lead, they're trying to get you into a trial really, really fast. And then within that trial, they're trying to get you to maybe one of those aha moments that I talked about. So you start seeing value to try to convert you as fast as possible. And the, the most successful companies are really, really good about this. And it's all about this acquisition funnel and optimizing it using the product. Now, what we're trying to say is that you don't want to stop there. Like that's the start of the customer relationship. Um, you want to keep going further, right? You want to think about retention. How do I make sure that that customer who saw a little bit of value enough to convert, how do we see lots of value to get them to not just retain and stay as a customer, but actually grow as a customer? You know, how do I make the experience so pleasant that they proactively go out to a review site and list a review or be um, an advocate for my company to, um, to help create more awareness for other businesses as well. And that's another way to think of um, product-led growth is um, advocacy. Right. You know, people talking about your product um, obviously is a great way to grow. And that's commonplace. And I, I had someone ask me the other day, well, isn't that obvious? Well, of course it's obvious, people that are happy. What's not obvious is that too few companies drive people to those reviews, encourage people to do it. Like if you know someone's happy and getting value at a product, like push them there. Hey, right. go leave a review, right? Um, and I don't see many companies doing that. And, and it sounds sort of like maybe maybe the next step there is that in a product-led organization, they're handling business functions like maybe sales, marketing, customer success a little differently because the product is sort of selling itself and is doing all these things, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, and, and I um, even finance teams sometimes are like looking at collections. You know, if someone's not paying and you can do it in a, in a kind but uh, direct way inside the product, hey, you know, you, you're 30 days past due, 60 days past due, it'd be great to you know, settle up our, our bill. I mean, that's another way the product can help. 
Um, so it's a finance team getting value added. So like, I think most functions have uh, an opportunity to offload some of the work that our humans are doing to the product. And that's a big p- part of the book is, is how do we leverage the product to do this? Right. Okay. So t- tactical advice for teams as to how to do that. Yeah. Look, there's a whole chapter on freemium. And like, you know, here are eight, 10 different freemium models, because the reality is a lot of companies use free in different ways. And we have everything from open source to, um, uh, uh, you know, free for limited use to, to all sorts of like different models. And frankly, a lot of them are successful for different companies for different reasons. And I'm, what I try to do is introduce the, if you're this type of company, you may want to think about this type of model because this model has worked in these other areas, right? Right. No, no, no. I could definitely see that. And and I guess the bigger, one of the other takeaways is that there are rewards at the end of the rainbow, right, for companies that execute on this stuff successfully. I mean, I think maybe I read this in the book or in a news story that um, I think there's statistics showing that companies that employ product-led growth grow more quickly and actually rebound faster from economic downturns, like presumably the one we're in now, right? Correct. And it's, it, it's not just, um, yeah, you're right, grow more quickly and rebound uh, faster. It's also doing it more efficiently in, in most cases. And um, and yeah, look, I, I, I did finish the book prior to COVID and the downturn, but wow, if it's not just the most amazing example, you know, and, and, and while I <laughs> wouldn't say I'm glad that we had this great example, because I would definitely have traded it all this last six months if we you know, were not seeing it. But but like, right. look, companies are being asked to do more with less right now. You know, I think I did a webinar with uh, Toast um, uh, about a month, month and a half ago. And I think it's public knowledge that, that, that Toast parted away with about 50% of their workforce. Yeah. Yet in my conversations with them, their load, their requests to their company, whether it's support, what have you, did not decrease. <laughs> so they just had to find ways to do more with less, right? Wow. Um, or do the same with less. And so, yeah, I, I think product-led growth, product-led techniques are um, critical ways to, to get through downturns. Um, yeah, I mean, it also... You know, you're thinking about this area. You're also saying, "Well, my customers can no longer engage with me physically. So if I used to rely on a storefront to engage with my customers, I have to develop a product-led way to do it." There's a great article I, don't know, I read a while back about Home Depot. And if you've gone to a Home Depot, and I admittedly am not the most handiest <laughs> humans in the world, so like I'm probably not the best example, but my I know people that are. Um, and but if you go there, there's a little curbside app, and you get a number, and they tell you that's digital. Like that's an right. app now that you have to engage with, where it used to be a person in an orange vest, right? But um, and so they've had to be creative and become digital in ways that they they previously weren't. So it's yeah, um, yeah. I think what we've learned, you know, Satya Nadella was quoted this early in the pandemic that. We've taken what should have been 18 months of transformation and tried to compress it in 90 days. And I think that's what we're seeing. And, and that's, that's some of the challenges that are out there. Right, right. No, we talk about that internally, too, how we, we do see a lot of companies that because they are pushing digitization and modernization, especially selling tools for larger enterprises that traditionally have moved more slowly, they're actually doing pretty well right now because there's just much more demand for those types of tools. Exactly, exactly. Okay. 
Well, so so I wanted to turn and talk a little bit about Pendo. Um, I'm okay. assuming that you guys are eating your own dog food there, and you are the perfect product-led organization that you outline in your book, right? Well, look, I would never call us perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, uh, we we strive for to, to be perfect, I suppose. Um, but um, yeah, we do employ product-led te- techniques Definitely. within our business, and and um, but there's still areas where we can get better. You know, and, and there's areas we're improving. We, we um, last week launched a free version of our product um, that had been uh, a while in the making. We're very excited about it. There's a lot of good, um, we're seeing a lot of good reception in the market for it. So, yeah, no, it, it's um, absolutely that this is core to our DNA. Right. Right. Well, releasing new products, you know, I know you guys just had a big user conference recently. So you guys are um, obviously still working hard and innovating through the pandemic. But, you know, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you faced as a as a leader? I think this is your first CEO job, right? And, you know, you got dumped right in the middle of, you know, the worst recession in many, many decades. Um, what, what have been the biggest <laughs> challenges that you've been facing? I'm sure there's a number of them. I think the biggest challenge broadly it would it is in was uncertainty there's just mm-hmm. a ton of uncertainty you know um there's a you know, we didn't know anything about the virus in march we just knew it was really really bad and we had to all go home <laughs> then we started learning more about it you know the we had no idea what the effect on our business was going to be we didn't understand the full economic impact uh, people were saying u's and v's and w's and l's and all sorts of shapes of curves but the reality is we're all <laughs> guessing we had no idea none of those um, curves were right were they none of those letters really were. No, none of those letters are right so so you're trying to operate a business and i mean you know you know just coming into we're uh in a jam 31 fiscal year so we just started our fiscal year and and like like and we had a very exciting year planned and it's kind of hits you. And, and, and then again, there's like so much unknown and then you, you send everyone home cause it clearly was the right thing to do at the time. Um, not expecting for it to last six months, certainly, but even now as of today, still a lot of unknowns. You know, we have um, teams across six offices um, we have been operating in a, a phased return to the office um, as uh, local governments allow. Uh, and you know, so our offices are open in, in North Carolina, our headquarters, um, Israel, UK, and, um, and New York. Um, but look, I mean, last week, the Israeli government imposed uh, stronger restrictions against businesses. So we had to pull back a little bit in our phase opening. Yesterday, uh, Prime Minister of UK announced an elevated level of severity within the UK. So we had to pull back a little bit there. All of these things, I mean, were very unexpected and frankly a bummer <laughs> because right. people are in the office, you know, in some of these areas at a limited percentage, but still in there. And now like, you feel like you're going backwards. Um, you know, California, we have yeah, our second longest largest office worldwide. And um, I just have no idea when it's going to be open. <laughs> no idea. Right. Um, and, right. Or when the uh, air will be clean. That's for or the when the air. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so that, that's probably the, the biggest challenge. And, you know, certainly the work from home situation is, I think what you'll hear from most CEOs is, oh, you know, we're still checking in a lot of code and we still feel like really productive. And, and frankly, by all measures, Pendo's doing well. <laughs> like I, mm-hmm. I mean, we 
measure everything. And I can tell you on pretty much every measure, you know, um, we're, we're, we're doing pretty well. And, and, and look, I consider us fortunate. Don't get me wrong. Like I know that plenty of other companies are more impacted than us and, and I feel for them. And, you know, I think you know, we're a horizontal solution, but, um, but, you know, it's hard to measure culture. It's hard to measure what's in people's heads. I worry about mental health. Um, it, mental health is one of those things that um, it's, it's, it's silent and it affects people. And, mm-hmm. and, and in business, we don't like talking about it a lot. So, right. so you have this thing that we don't like talking about. It makes us all a little uncomfortable, to be quite, be quite honest. Yet it's real and it's present and it, it's definitely impacting our employee base. So, so the, the, these are the things. I think that's probably the ultimate Maybe that was more than one challenge. I'm sorry, right. Becky, if I was like no, 10, two, uh, it's two or three, but all related, <laughs> I think, yeah, and insightful. Yeah. Um, well, but so I, your point's well taken about the uncertainty because there's uncertainty on so many levels, right? Like when are your employees coming back? How do you forecast the rest of your fiscal year? Right? Those things are all uncertain. Exactly. But what what are you hearing from your customers? Any anything interesting there? I mean, as far as demand for your product, what they're seeing as far as their budgets and their spending levels, perhaps. Yeah, so I think um, certainly in March, well, let's say March, April, early May, um, we were hearing from most of our customers just a general, we're not going to do anything, or a large, not not everyone, of course, but a decent percentage of our um, active opportunities, you know, we're, we're you know, slowed down because the CFOs were uncertain and they didn't want to get into, you know, annual contracts if well, due to uncertainty. But but I'd say broadly, the impact to our customers vary greatly by industry. You know, and that, that's probably one of our biggest benefits is that we are such a broad platform that um, we sell to little companies and giant companies. We sell to... Um, I mentioned Toast, which which mm-hmm. uh, sells to restaurants, and we also have uh, EdTech and telehealth vendors, which are four and five hundred percent bigger than they were pre-pandemic, right? So, so we have a little bit of bit of everything, and um, some companies are dealing with um, their customer base going out of business, you know, like spas mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, and and we're trying to work with them and, and help them get through this um, challenging time in their business. But then there's other challenges. We have customers which have record levers of levels of scale. Hmm. Record. Like again, telehealth. You know, the, the I mean, if you're familiar with the the regulations around telehealth, there's an executive order that that basically eliminated the, the uh, a lot of the the barriers to telehealth growth and like these companies just shot up out of nowhere you know and you have yeah. um uh online learning I mean, who, who would who would have expected like i don't know what the exact percentage my guess is over 75 to maybe 90 percent of all you know uh students in, in, in at least america are on using virtual platforms software yeah. platforms you know and we're, we're seeing a lot of that usage just just for context um we are up to 10 billion events a day, a day. Wow. And that is um, our, our largest ever prior to that was uh, somewhere around six to seven. So that's just in the last three or four weeks since school started. So so we're seeing lots of interesting um, developments. But you're, but you're selling, I mean, you're selling to anybody who's making software and increasingly that's every company, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it is every company. And, and I, I do think it's, 
created new opportunities, you know, certainly at larger, more established companies. That's probably one of the biggest changes in our businesses. Whereas before, you know, early days of Pendo, we sold a lot to technology companies. Now we sell to banks and insurance companies. And, and some of these traditional businesses are really accelerating their plans to go digital um, based on um, the pandemic. And I think that's been very, very positive to us because one of the challenges with going digital is, hey, what kind of experience are we going to deliver? And, and we need to measure that experience. Ultimately, it's a trend that's going to benefit us in the long run. So Right. No, sounds like it. Well, one other thing I've always found interesting about your company, Todd, and you mentioned earlier that you guys are headquartered in uh, Raleigh, is that you're a company, you know, founded and based in North Carolina, but you have still had a lot of success raising money from, you know, well-known tech investors from places like Silicon Valley and Boston. I think you even wrote a TechCrunch article about this a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, was it challenging? Yeah, of course. R- raising raising capital here is a, a lot more challenging, and and um, you know, but you know, I'll, I'll tell the story. I think I, the earlier we were, the more challenging it was. And you know, I think early stage investments, um, a lot of um, seed and, and A stage investors want to stay close to those companies you know, because if something goes wrong, they want to be able to leverage their networks. They want to be able to spend a lot of time with with the entrepreneurs, and um, so that, that kind of ruled out most Silicon Valley investors from some of our, our early rounds, and um, that was frustrating because you know that's the place where you know the the lion's share of the of the capital is. So um, we had to be creative in our seed round and kind of piece it together with a variety of investors from, you know, some local, some from New York. Um, And, you know, we just had to, you know, scrap our way through it. Our first seed round was a million dollars. Like, uh, you know, seed rounds now are like four or five, I think. Right. So we had to figure out like, you know, how to, how to um, make do with a million dollars and get some real, real traction and proof points. And we're able to do that, you know, but, Look, I think the core is you got to build a great product. You have to make sure you're solving a big problem with a large market. And um, and then on the investment side, I spent a ton of time chatting with investors, even if I knew they wouldn't wouldn't work out. And um, but I pretty much took every meeting uh, I had. I know there's a you read plenty of tweets or blog posts like you know never take a meeting with an associate or a vice president. I think that's a little arrogant, you know, mm-hmm. you know I, I don't care what someone's title is. I look, I took, a, I still take pretty much every meeting. I associates reach out to me now. We've raised $200 million. <laughs> I still meet with them. I mean, like, like, I don't want to be that person, you know, that, that uh, won't meet with an associate because that's their title. Yeah. So, but it's um, all so networking, think, right? Like those networking. meetings could lead to something else. So. Exactly. You know, I guess look at every meeting as an opportunity to get, tell your story and you just, you just never know. And look, we we were very fortunate to find battery uh, in that Series A, and um, you know the rest is a bit history. You know, in terms of I mean that that um, you know I guess we we took that and then we executed well against it. Right. So it wasn't right. wasn't just magic. You know, but uh, look, you know, um, focus on building those relationships, but also then building a great business. You know, I, I think. You know, we, we've always been very focused on execution and results. I mean, uh, execution matters, you know, so keep your heads down and focused. And um, if you focus on the execution, the money will come. 
Great. All right. That is great advice. Well, um, well, so tell us just, I guess, in closing, two things. One, what's next for Pendo? Big news or events coming down the pike. And then two, what's happening with the book? I mean, are you going to be on Oprah? Are you doing a book tour? Can I buy it on Amazon? <laughs> tell me tell me all about the book. Well, well um, look, I mean, uh, I I do want to do a book tour, so I don't know how feasible that is with some of the travel restrictions. I, <laughs> well, that's I was, right. You know, a book tour today. It's going to be on Zoom. You're going to do a Zoom yeah, tour. I am doing a lot of podcasts. I'm, I'm getting my name. You know, we're getting the, the, the book name out there. Um, this is kind of conference season, so a ton of virtual conferences. Um, you know, what next, what's next for Pendo? You know, I, I think um, we, we had... You already mentioned Pendemonium. That was a conference last week. So we've, we're kind of coming off that high um, and um, honestly preparing for our Q4. Q4 is our largest quarter of the year. Um, starts in a few months, you know, so we're just kind of gearing up to help um, work with customers and help help them transform to be more product-led. So um, that, that's really the what's next. So, um, yeah, we're really excited for, for finishing out the year strong. All right. Well, Todd Olson, author of the new book, The Product-Led Organization, sounds like you're walking the talk. So thank you for being with us. Thank you.